It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, good day, listeners, and welcome to Hard Hats and High Viz, week 26 of our podcast featuring the two Jacks, Jack the Insider and Hong Kong Jack. G'day, Jack. How are you today, mate? Excellent, mate. How are things in Hong Kong? You got the black on, so it must be cool. <laughs> no, it's um, we lost. We're losing a bit of the humidity. They always promise you every year that once the Autumn Moon Festival is over in early September, the humidity will go away. That's never quite true, but now it's dropped away to kind of normal temperatures now. Really? Normal levels of humidity. We did talk about the Autumn Moon Festival. That's a public holiday, isn't it? Hong Kong. Of course it is. Yes. We, course in fact, we had one last. We had one last week. The grave sweeping day. I've got to mention that. What, what was it called? It's, 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 I forget its, it's Chinese name, but it's, it's, it's translated as Grave Sweeping Day. Grave Sweeping Day. So yeah, it's, yeah. So, it's, so, you, so you go and visit the, the graves of the ancestors and uh, give them a tidy up and leave some offerings there, right? You know, food, which, which, which you then, that you then eat. It's a, it's a bit like Day of the Dead in Mexico. It's a, it is a bit like Day of the Dead. Um, uh, I don't have a lot to do because there's a bit of a shortage of ancestors of mine in this part of the world. You know, um, uh, I have to do a lot of sweeping. Yes. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, yeah. Any any reason for a uh, public holiday in Hong Kong is is snapped up. Uh, but mind, mind, you, mind you, most of the locals do what they always do when they get a public holiday: it's either go hiking or go shopping. Ah, there you go. Good for the economy. Um, uh, but uh, we are dealing with matters uh, intrinsically Australian in hard hats and high viz, politics, media and what have you. Uh, and we just remind listeners, if uh, they uh, want to contribute to the program, please do um, uh, make give us a review on your podcast app if you'd like. That would be terrific. Four or five stars would be wonderful. Um, but also drop us a line if you've got comments, criticisms, etc. matters that you want to raise. We're dealing with a... Uh, readers' uh, letter um, uh, over the tax cuts. But we won't start there today. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to start with uh, with a, a column written by uh, Chris Mitchell, uh, my former boss at The Australian, now columnist uh, in the media section of The Australian. Uh, and uh, the major uh, often uh, analyses what he considers mistakes in journalism, and this time he drew his attention to what's known as ESG and why journalists are ignoring it. Tell us firstly what ESG is, Jack. It's environment, social, and um, and governance. And and what does that mean? Well, I've got to tell you, no one really knows. <laughs> it's it mean, the conscience. It it's means the corporate what, conscience, what, Jack. It means whatever you want it to mean is the answer. But it's become a very fashionable thing for companies to stamp on their on their letterhead or on their forehead, really, and say, we are an ESG-friendly company in the hope that we'll, they will get more investment. And that, in fact, works. The, the, uh, I think it does. A, yeah. a former BlackRock investor was saying, the ESG investments are growing at $8 billion US dollars a day. Um, so it's a very popular thing wow. to invest in. Um, and the big funds, the two biggest funds in the world are BlackRock and, and State Street, and they're very keen on, on this ESG business. Well, they would be, wouldn't they? Because it's, because it's, it's dragging money in, into their funds. Um, and, 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 and it comes around, I mean, basically what we're talking about is ethical investments, um, what, what is regarded as ethical investments. And, and that can conflict with what are, uh, stands in conflict with what are, um, uh, investments in, let's say, fossil fuel uh, mining and exploitation. Yes, and, and it conflicts with what used to be the role of investors, uh, which was to try and increase shareholder returns and shareholder uh, capital. Um, it, it, these are proven not to be a very um, lucrative investment. So uh, where where the major um, uh, focused his attention was on a um, industry super fund Hester, uh, which has uh, issued a uh, a letter to the Australian Stock Exchange and to major investment 
sector uh, <coughs> companies around Australia saying that uh, uh, they do not want their money invested in fossil fuels, coal mining in particular. Why you would get out of coal mining investments in Australia at this stage bewilders me. Um, uh, the it's basically the, kept Australia out of recession, mate. Yeah, and the, and the coal price is at pretty much record levels, um, and people are going to be buying Australian coal for the next 30 years. There's just no doubt about it. The idea it's a stranded asset well, is... Well, I don't know about 30, but, 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 but it's certainly going to be, it's certainly going to be you know, uh, lucrative for the next 10 years, particularly with the energy shortage driven by the Ukrainian conflict. Unless the the Chinese economy completely collapses, they're they're busily building coal fired power stations that will have a twenty to thirty year lifespan, and they will all want Australian coal. Um, so yes, they'll be selling it for a long time, provided the Chinese economy holds up. Um, uh, and it's it's a it's a very strange move. I noticed that Nicola Roxon's um, yeah, uh, she was going to say and Hester's mm. got sixty eight billion dollars Australian dollars under management. And Nicola Roxon's a very smart woman and a very good lawyer, um, uh, or at least she was until she turned herself into a scold. She sort of became that uh, terrible auntie. <laughs> I haven't heard got. that term. I haven't heard that term used for a couple of decades. It's a beauty, a scold. Well, she was. She turned into that auntie you've got who wants to tell you to give up the smokes and don't drink so much. And, yeah, and, get and, off the, and you get off the gambling. Yeah, You're wasting yeah. your life. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course, she was the architect of plain packaging in cigarettes, something that is extolled as a virtue, but there's actually no data to suggest that it's reduced smoking with, one, existing smokers, because they're all on the decline anyway. Existing existing smokers have basically been giving given up for, for, for a while. I mean, this is a part of a trend 30, 40-year-old. 30, 30 or 40-year-old trend. Has it stopped new smokers? This was the design of it. You know that you did, the children somehow would be drawn by the by the bright by the bright packaging and the colours, and then not pick. Uh, and when those things were taken down to a dowdy grey green olive sort of uh, standard uh, packaging, that they wouldn't be inclined to do it. You look at the data on that, and you really don't see a lot of change in an adoption of uh, new smokers. Um, but it's extolled as a virtue because, well, it was designed. By the virtuous, for the virtuous, Jack. Yeah, well, in any event, smart woman though she is, Nicola Roxon, I wouldn't put a lawyer in charge of $68 billion worth of funds. <laughs> so so who, should be, who should be running his? Well, someone, 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 an old-fashioned business person who thinks my yeah. job is to get a good return for those poor people who've got their money in the super fund. Uh, rather than squandering it on um, feel-good issues like ESG. Yeah, I understand that. I, I mean, look, it, it must be said too that uh, the Banking Royal Commission determined uh, um, there was a lot of talk, particularly from the government of the day, the Morrison government of the day, that that um, uh, that independent super funds were the way to go. Um, that that be of the you know the, the ones that the, the banks provide and and various investment companies like AMP and National Mutual and uh, but their returns, as opposed to industry super funds, were very, very poor. Um, and if you're if you're in if you you know like all, all Australians, compulsory super contributions, um, you'd be mad not to go to an industry super fund. However, um, uh, they might be uh, perhaps a little bit too virtuous to knock back a quid when there's one on the offing. Yeah, look, uh, this whole funds management business around the world has put a lot of power in the wrong hands. Um, the, the, the big uh, teacher union funds in North America are huge investors in Australia. Um, and um, you just, if you if you have a look at who actually runs these places, well, you wouldn't want them having your own, running your own money, let alone um, uh, uh, billions and billions of dollars from other people. But aren't they investing in electric vehicles, Jack? Investing in the future? <laughs> Electric vehicles and hydrogen technology and all these things that are going to deliver us a, a greener planet going forward. Yeah, and unicorns. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you're absolutely right that the, that the appetite, if you want to call it that, or the market for coal um, is, 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 is increasing rather than decreasing. 
Mm. A lot of that is driven by um, our European energy shocks, the crisis in energy in in in, the, in Europe. But also, if we look around our own neighbourhood in Southeast Asia, and we talked about this on uh, our Around the World podcast, the <laughs> the market for Australian coal is is huge in India, in China, uh, throughout Southeast Asia, in places like Philippines. The numbers of coal fired um, uh, power generation um, plants is increasing, not going backwards. Yep. Anyway, right. um, that's ESG for us. Well, that's ESG. Um, so uh, a quid is going begging there. Um, it, it has become sort of highly politicised. Matt Canavan says that basically uh, these, uh, um, a company like Hester is, uh, is ignoring uh, shareholder value, something that you... Um, have made have made pretty clear, um, but they're entitled to make their own decisions. Surely, of course they are. Yes, yeah. It, it, just, it just should be easier for us to choose where our super fund money goes. Well, yeah, that's and, an interesting. And the market, the market will sort this out. Someone's going to say, "Look, we are the fund that just wants to make your money," and they'll be popular. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it is. It, look, it's a wholly complicated situation now with with climate change, with policies, uh, um, global policies re- uh, determined to reduce uh, carbon emissions uh, uh, up to zero by 20, 2050. Um, and then, then uh, fossil fuels and the mining thereof, and the exploitation thereof, and the use of are going to become. Um, ultimately are going to become uh, um, less used, particularly in the Western world. Yeah, you're not so sure? No, no, I think that'll run up against um, uh, people have, as it will in Europe this this winter, run up against the choice people will face of, do you want to be cold, not not have a job to go to because the factory can't run, or do you want to achieve some magic target? And they'll say, forget the target, I want to be warm and I want a job. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, uh, <clears throat> there certainly is a huge market for coal, as I said. Basically, mining royalties have, have kicked in a fair amount of uh, of Commonwealth revenue uh, this year, particularly from coal and iron ore. Uh, and while China keeps, keeps its economy growing, and it's pretty tepid at the moment, um, but also in the sort of powerhouse uh, 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 powerhouses of uh, Southeast Asia, um, iron, Australian iron ore and Australian thermal coal, thermal coal will be required. Um, but it, that leads us now to the tax cuts, the stage three tax cuts. It's become a bit of a, a bit of a gorilla on the uh, on on the government's back, um, with uh, the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese uh, uh, on the weekend saying he wants to implement the policies Labor took to the last election but is refusing to rule out amending stage three tax cuts in this term of parliament. Um, uh, we'll get these, to... these stage three tax cuts, this was a process set in place by the last government, yes, agreed to by Labor, yeah. wasn't it? Which, which Labor, uh, well, technically they endorsed it, but they endorsed stage one, stages one and two, not so much three. They were always uh, up in the air, but they did vote for it. They did vote, vote for, for, for a package. Um, and the stage three stuff, um, uh, basically, uh, it, it will cost something like $250 billion over the estimates, uh, k- kicking in in 2024. Um, the government clearly has some issues in, in regard to bu- budget management, uh, and there is concern over whether this is the time for tax cuts. I mean, tax cuts aren't just one-off expenditures. They they come off the bottom line year in, year out, um, <clears throat> unlike, a, uh, unlike a spending package that uh, might deliver funds to, uh, to, uh, to taxpayers uh, as a one-off. Um, <clears throat> uh, is the Albanese government sort of paralysed about this, Jack? Is the, it, it, it seems to me that they can't really make a decision, that they have this aversion, and I guess... Elbow probably wakes up uh, in the middle of the night with in a cold, clammy sweat, sort of still one, still still t- uh, terrified of of the electoral backlash over the the carbon tax that we weren't going to have in, during the Gillard government uh, days. 
Yeah, it could be. And he could be looking at what happened to Liz Truss in, 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 in the UK who yeah. uh, made some tax changes that she thought were terrific and Ooh. all of a sudden Labor has a 33-point lead at oh, the worst, but certainly 20-point lead. The market uh, reaction was unbelievable. Yes. I mean, the, the yeah. pound just simply went into free fall within minutes of the announcement. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a... He's going to get the same reaction, whatever he does here in Australia. But that would be somewhere lurking over the back of the shoulder a little bit, I think, that sort of fear of that sort of thing. And you're right, um, they don't want to be, um, uh, they don't want to give the opposition a stick with which to beat them, which um, Julia Gillard did by implementing the tax, the, the, the carbon tax after saying there wouldn't be one. Um, so they're nervous about that. They um, clearly are. Yep. Um, um, <coughs> as, to the, as to the 60, but the, the benefits of tax cuts over a spending package is that the tax cuts put money back in people's hands and they can spend it. They spend it better than the government does, by and large. Um, whereas what a package does, it gives some of the, some of the money back to the, um, uh, to the people uh, after it's been, a lot of it's been wasted on administration. So tax, tax cuts are better, in my view, than spending packages, and as to the sixty billion, I think they should be taking that off the off, off the debt. Yeah, that's a, a sixty billion, essentially thereabouts. Rough figures. We round <laughs> we round up we're rounding up a bit on billions of dollars, but but it, it's about sixty billion dollars per year from twenty twenty four onwards. So um, uh, there are risks because in an inflationary environment, and it's twenty twenty two. And we've got high inflation in this country, probably running about seven or eight percent at the moment, uh, on on the back of the monthly CPI updates we're getting. Um, uh, <clears throat> so, so the the um, the concern is that it might sort of basically overheat the economy. You're talking about spending from individuals, Jack. The the um, uh, the higher the earner, the less the spending. In terms of in terms of tax cuts, so if, for example, you decided um, to uh, uh, increase the the job start allowance or what a new start allowance, I think it's called, never called at the moment, and if you increase that by fifty to one hundred dollars per week for, for for every recipient, that would go straight into the economy. That would go straight into retail. Um, but if you're an, an earner up, up a brand or a, a household with $180,000 uh, of uh, a total income uh, and you get a tax cut, uh, some of that money won't just go straight into savings. It won't go directly into the economy. It might get invested in ESG. Well, <laughs> destroy the coal industry. Um, uh, yeah, but there are those concerns. You know, if you really want to, if you really want to increase, let's say, retail activity, the best way to do that is that is at the lower ends, uh, and particularly those on welfare, um, and and that money will go straight into the economy straight away. And we've seen that. You know, we've seen that. Well, we saw that with during the pandemic when the when the new start allowance was increased. Uh, by a couple hundred bucks, by a couple hundred bucks a fortnight, and you know that just kept retail going at that time. So, I guess what I'm saying is that, it, I mean, what's stopping the, the, the Albanese government at just simply saying, "Look, economic uh, economic conditions have changed, and now we're reviewing these uh, tax cuts uh, uh, with a view to possibly taking them taking them off the uh, off the table." Um, I mean, if you're on a, if, if you've got a total um, household income of one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year, Jack, you're barely, you're not struggling, are you? Well, you shouldn't be. You should. <laughs> That's a good point because I think some people do get a little over leveraged. Um, yeah. But but uh, if you're on, I mean, you know, if you're on, I, I I don't want to hear this sort of cries, and I have seen a bit of it in the media where people go, oh well, I'm I'm on one hundred eighty and I'm I'm battling, and you go, well, you know. Um, it's uh, it's probably a lot of your fault, um, you know. Yeah. What, what do we want to that's do? A hard, that's a hard political sell to, to go out there and say. Look, you shouldn't have bought um, you know, a second McMansion. You shouldn't have spent so much money on your property. You shouldn't have borrowed so much money. That's a hard political sell. Might be some truth in it, but it's a hard sell. And that, and that leasing that Maserati was never a good idea. Yeah. Um, and, 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 yeah, government can't do that, of course. But 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 
that's essentially, you know, I mean, what are we going to do? Run a telethon for people on one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year? You know, kick in a bit because they're battling. Mm. I, I, I won't get a lot things- of calls. They won't get a lot of calls, <laughs> yeah, will they? Yeah. Right. Yes, and the, and donations have gone up from a dollar twenty to a dollar twenty-five. I mean, it, 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 it strikes me as odd that, and, and you and I think of pretty much a similar mind on this that, that the higher income earners. I mean, we're talking tax cuts and not handouts, but you know, you could you could perceive this as middle class welfare or upper middle class welfare. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to see. And, and various governments have squandered the opportunity to do this in Australia. But I'd like to see a much simpler tax system. So we have a tax act that's not a yard yard tall, you know. Yeah, um, that means, I agree with that. Um, a, a flatter, fairer tax system um, with almost no deductions. Yeah, we'll go um, through what the, what these tax cuts are all about in just a minute. But I just wanted to say that Elbow, Elbow and a classic piece of political speak that says a bit but really says nothing, said in regards to this, we haven't changed our position on that, that being tax cuts, stage three, so our position stands. So there's been no change here, Mr Albanese told the ABC on the weekend. What we're doing is getting on with the immediate cost of living pressures. Um, So it's basically been hand-passed down the line, uh, Treasurer Jim Chalmers will deliver a budget this year, um, some described as a mini budget. We had our last uh, last budget uh, um, uh, less than a year ago, uh, and then there'll be then then normal uh, normal transmission will be restored, and we'll go back to a May budget next year. So it will it, this mini budget will not deal with with uh, the state street tax cuts, which will be in the. Um, in, in, in the uh, in the Ford estimates, it'll remain there, and and they'll keep the public on edge, and the media on edge until May of next year, and that seems to me to be a, a pretty dumb thing that they could have actually dealt with this quite easily, taken a little bit of a hit, possibly, um, but um, I mean, look, you know, there are not a lot of people on 180 plus who vote Labor. Probably not. Um, the other thing, of course, is he might be looking at this just to see what interest rates are doing next year. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So um, we just want to talk about what they are. So so the current tax regime um, uh, is that workers pay 19% tax on each dollar earned between 18201 and $45,000, 32%. 32.5 cents in the dollar on any dollar earned between 45,000 and 120,000. 37% on any dollar earned between 120,000 and $1, $1,80. $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1
I think they should pay down the debt. I think they should be spending a fair bit on that. And 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 just imagine the. You know, I mean, they don't have to do it all. They don't have to in, in, put you know sixty odd billion or rounding up to sixty odd billion per uh, per year into into uh, debt management. But what they can do is put a portion of it aside for that, and then say, look at our economic management credentials. The other mob there were profligate. Uh, you know, and, and, and we get into that whole thing. <laughs> one of the one of the great um, uh, mysteries of of the Australian political theatre over the last ten years is that debt and deficit, Commonwealth debt and deficit, was absolutely toxic ten years ago. Was a toxic matter for Labor, uh, and 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 a tool to beat Labor around the head uh, from from the Abbott Turnbull Morrison governments. And now no one took, now no one in the coalition talks about it. You know, I mean, you can take them to pieces. Sorry, you can tear Dutton apart. Um, I just want to get to uh, one of our uh, one of our listener letters here. Um, this is from a man you'll probably know, Jack Baseman. And Baseman writes, Albo should abandon the $243 billion State Street tax cuts, that's over four years, that will flow in the main to the nation's highest paid workers. Again, no dispute there. This view is held by most economists and even some members of the opposition. The tax cuts were made when we had less debt and with a surplus on the horizon, according to then to the then Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. In the present economic climate and with a trillion dollar debt, the tax cuts are unsustainable, Baseman writes. Elbow's main concern is with breaking on election promise and being wedged by duts. On the eve of the 2013 federal election, Abbott promised no cuts to education, health, the ABC, SBS and no changes to pensions. He not only broke those promises, but many more. The looters, the looters, I think he's talking about the coalition there, Jack, I think... I think he's making his political affiliation he's, fairly widely known. He's been um, using that. He's been using that term on your blog <laughs> since the turn of the century. <laughs> oh, maybe even earlier. The looters went on to win elections in 2013, 2016, and 2019. He's saying it had no impact. I mean, it did have impact. Um, the uh, the Abbott the Abbott uh, promises, but uh, but they did go on to win the next election, albeit not with Tony Abbott in the in the uh, in the top job. Quite clearly, Baseman goes on to say. Uh, breaking one election promise does not necessarily guarantee defeat at the 2025 election. That's true. Elbow should try and convince Dutts to act in the national interest. Oh, good luck. And in an era of bipartisanship, renounce the tax cuts. I don't think Peter Dutton's going to be doing that. Um, uh, so, yeah, look, I think he's encapsulated the, the, the political issues there pretty well. Or, I mean, it's not as if Dutton, Dutton's, Dutton is, is like the drowning man uh, who's been uh, who, who's just clinging to clinging to the uh, to the boy and uh, and 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 tax cuts stage three is the boy. I mean that that's all yeah. they got right now, isn't it? I think what our old pal Bassman is doing is, is suggesting that uh, the prime minister should hand the opposition a stick and then say, "Please don't beat me with it." Please um, don't hit me with it. Don't hit me yeah. very hard. You yeah. can hit me a couple of times, but not yeah. hard. Um, Good luck I, with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just see this as a huge opportunity. Meanwhile, Monique Ryan, one of the uh, Teal uh, independents, has said that uh, the government is now wedged between a rock and a hard place. Uh, she believes the government should rescind the, the, the cuts because they were legislated and committed to before soaring budget debt, cost of living and inflationary pressures, which is pretty much the point that Baseman makes. I think people understand that a government's role is to respond to the challenges that it has in front of it, she told ABC Breakfast uh, last week. I th- oh, Actually, um, yes, no, it was last week. I think people understand that these tax cuts were legislated at a time before we had a trillion dollars in debt and before we saw the cost of living and, in fact, inflationary pressures on the economy that we're seeing at the moment. A lot of the economists are talking about the fact that by 2024 we won't have these inflationary pressures. That's fairly optimistic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's optimistic. It is fairly optimistic. So what you could be doing is is, is working on 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 the on the CPI, getting inflation down, and then and then delivering these cats, tax cuts and seeing it uh, seeing it rise again. Indeed, I think they should be. Um, as I say, I think the money should go towards paying down that debt. Well, what I what I'd say is that the government has sixty billion dollars a year 
uh, starting in a in, in, in a in an election uh, in a pre-election year and into in into an election year that it can use in all manner of ways uh, uh, to to promote itself as as a solid economic manager but with a heart. Um, so address some social uh, social justice stuff. Maybe we look at uh, a rise in in the job start or new start allowance. Um, as, a, as you know, this is something that's pretty much embraced across the board. Um, that the new start allowance plunges people into poverty. We don't have many people on it at the moment. We've got uh, a very high rates of employment, um, and that's another that's another good thing for the budget going forward. Um, but maybe just adjust those sorts of things, those really desperate social welfare um, uh, payments, uh, and and you'd see that just kick straight into uh, kick straight into the local supermarket. People eating better, people uh, uh, not not skipping meals, all this sort of stuff. That's I just think that they've got a whole raft of opportunities to do this, and rather than it being a potential threat, they should see it as a as a huge opportunity. Well, that would be better. I mean, increasing the new start allowance would be better than coming up with some new boondoggle to give um, middle class people a, a handout. Yeah, well said. And 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 just so you get a so so our listeners get a and when we're talking billions and half a trillion and trillion dollar debt and all that sort of stuff, sixty billion that would pay for the NDIS. I mean, that's three times the NDIS budget. Right? It's it's almost twice the federal health budget. Um, it's a huge amount of money, and it can and it can go a long way to fixing a lot of things at the moment. Um, so yes, I, I, I see opportunity opportunity knocks rather than it being uh, you know something that uh, the government should be should be scared of. Perhaps Elbow has got his finger on the pulse by just uh, kicking it down the road for uh, another uh, another six or so months. All right, now the Manly Pride. Jersey Jack, that was a, a big blow up there. Um, where uh, uh, and the NRL had their it wasn't a Pride Week, but they, 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 they it wasn't a week. It was done over a number of weeks, and uh, and uh, many play many many clubs in the NRL uh, developed a a Pride jersey, which would uh, have uh, feature the um, the rainbow uh, the rainbow symbol. Um, uh, <coughs> Uh, and embracing what do we call it, Jack? Inclusiveness. Uh, we've dealt we've dealt with ESG. Now the other great boondoggle of the world is DEI: diversity, equity, and inclusion. And again, oh, no one really knows what that means. No, look, it's it, it's a it's very confusing acronym. But but the point of it is, Jack, is that we want to include people. By excluding a couple, <laughs> excluding seven. seven well, that's one. the problem. Well, the, 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 the problem with the pride jersey thing was, I looked at it this way. I thought the thing that makes good league players stand out is that they can read the game in front of them, and you wouldn't have to be Joey Johns, who was the best I ever saw at this, to work out that if you try and make all the players wear pride jerseys. A, a fair whack of the Pacifica community, um, who are traditional Christians, are going to say, "No, nah, I don't want to do that." I don't really want to do that. I mean, this has happened with uh, the AFLW. Um, there's a, there's a player who there doesn't want to embrace that, and she she's indicated that she'll sit out that game. Um, now, just just by way of history, what happened there? Manly had developed a, a jersey, and they sent it around to um, uh, to some of their celebrity fans around the world, and. And, and in Sydney, and they were all photographed wearing them on their Instagram pages and so forth. But it's, it appears that they didn't tell the players uh, until they said, "Yeah, in, inclusion week this week, uh, uh, Pride week this week, um, pop on the jersey." And seven of their players decided not to. Island, all, all Islander background players, uh, and, and and Manly, who are on the cusp, of certainly looking like challenging. Um, uh, for to, to participate in the NRL finals this year, their season just fell away. I mean, those seven players did not take the field, and uh, and and some of them, uh, I think, remained out of remained out of the uh, run on team for 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 some time. And it was considered to be just a poor piece of communication between the club and the players, and then that led to the coach Des Hasler. 
um, threatening to take legal action against Manly over that over a fiasco. But it, now it seems the Daily Telegraph is reporting that copies of emails between Sea Eagles commercial boss Luke Tucker and the general manager of football, John Bonacera, uh, in and around that period, or well before, uh, well before the period, uh, said that basically the, the, the football department, including Hasler, should have had access to it. And they just, for some reason, they haven't spoken to the players. I'm just checking. Hasler's beef is that they didn't win a game after this because it, it, it destroyed the unity of the players. Yeah. And because they didn't win a game, he's going to miss out on an automatic extension right. to his contract. That's right. right. So okay. there's, there's contractual issues that, that determine that because he missed out on the finals, he now um, he now has to go cap in hand to the club uh, rather than being automatically re-signed. Yeah, okay. So that's... that's these These... NRL coaches have paid a fair whack of money, so there's a fair bit on the table with this, isn't it? Well, it seems to be based on the fact that Hazlitt maintained that the that the players uh, and the football department weren't aware of these uh, of this pride jersey when it would seem that they were. Now, I mean, not the players so much. It's just that the football department hadn't communicated it, um, and 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 so what we the original criticism of Manly was that their um, uh, that their front office, if you like, had kept this thing quiet, or you know, allowed their celebrities, to, uh, 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 but 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 not but not uh, communicated with the football department and the footballers themselves. And now, so, they, so seen, they told they told Hugh Jackman all about it. But yeah, Hugh Jackman, had, he had it on. Yeah, but, the they, but they didn't. They didn't bother sitting down with the Pacifica guys and saying, "We want you to wear this shirt." Well, that seems to be this. That, that was the original uh, understanding. But now it seems that the football part, department didn't know and they, who have constant communication with players, didn't communicate that with players. That seems to be the strangest thing. And Des Hasler, well, I don't, I'm not quite sure what his position is now, but his, his original position was that the club had stuffed this up. But it would seem that his department, if these emails are... Well, they're genuine. I know they're genuine. It was reported by Phil Roster in the Daily Telegraph today. Um, it would seem that you know the football department were the ones where the commu- that was where the communication broke down. And I think we said at the time, if you've got someone like a manly great like Ian Roberts, who's the first uh, openly uh, gay uh, uh, rugby league player at, at the elite level, uh, they got got him down to talk to the Islander boys and say, look, this is what this is about. It's about respect. It's about that sort of thing. Maybe it might have been, uh, maybe it might not have been the controversy that it became, and the sort of season-ending controversy for for the Manly Sea Eagles. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think the tr- the whole problem is that football clubs really shouldn't be getting into this stuff so much. Um, oh, it's the, not a week uh, goes by. It's not a week. Yes, I know, I, I know, but they are making a problem for themselves. Um. I know the Carp Football Club, and I'm wholly supportive of it. But they make most, they make a great deal about uh, domestic violence issues, um, and um, and they wear the orange socks. I remember you, uh, you, you, we were both watching a Carlton game, you in Hong Kong and me in Sydney, and and uh, and and uh, you said, uh, what, what are, what's all the orange socks about? I said, it's it's, it's about domestic violence. Said, are they for or against? Um, <laughs> and of course, they were against. But that's easy. That's, that, that's a bit like um, uh, many years ago, Julia Gillard telling me when they were in opposition that they were going to have a minister for cancer um, uh, yeah. uh, if, if they won the election. I said, oh, for, look, for or uh, are we for or against? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to be against domestic violence. That's, a, that's an easy one to do. Um, it gets harder when you when you when you when you move into areas that are contestable areas. Really, people think they're not, but they are. A good percentage of the rugby league community don't hold the Ian Roberts view of sexuality. You know, that's they hold a traditional, old-fashioned Christian view of it. So, inclusion should be including everybody, and that means that your DEI policy shouldn't be excluding people. Yeah, it's a really complicated situation. 
the only way forward with this, if you're going to pursue things like a pride jersey, is to communicate to players. Not just say, hey, hey boys, here's the jumper for Friday night, you know, on the Tuesday afternoon. I think it was a Wednesday, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and and that's just appalling. That's just appalling. And and it's not as if you want to try and brainwash or turn turn uh, uh, people's uh, uh, views around. I mean, that's not inclusivity either. But 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 have people like Roberts come and talk to the players, go through a process, so there's at least proper, open, and reasonable communication between player and and uh, and management. But. That process is not just Roberts talking to them and telling them what he thinks. You've got to listen to what they say. Yeah, and absolutely. Maybe, and maybe you've got to come to a compromise because not all of these issues are – it's not like domestic violence. Everyone's against that. It's not like cancer. Everyone's against that. These are views – these are issues where people have different views and if you're going to have a proper diversity, equity, inclusion policy, you've got to include everybody. Well, here's where it all sort of fell down. So we have commercial boss Luke Tucker at the Sea Eagles. We have general manager of the football department, John Bonacera. Uh, this is in May 24. Uh, it can now be revealed Bonacera did not pass on information to Hasler. In an email on a Tuesday afternoon, Tucker, the commercial boss, says to Bonacera, I just want to double check before production commences, that we won't have any issues with any players wearing these jerseys for this one-off game. And Mr Tucker would seem to be aware of the potential problems uh, and, and received uh, uh, an attachment also showed the design of the jersey. He claimed none of the coaching staff nor the players had prior knowledge to the jersey. I feel for these players they were not included in any of the discussions in the decision-making of the jersey. At a minimum, they should have been consulted. We just talked about how that consultation process should have worked, and it should have been collaborative and um, uh, and open from from the get go. Uh, there are always going to be subsets of society who have cultural and religious views, and they must always be considered. Ultimately, this comes down to discussion and collaboration. It turns out the breakdown I'm reading from the Daily Telegraph story in communications came from his own department, not the board or senior management. And the controversy destroyed Manly season, the team losing its last seven games. Um, it's just, it's it's actually a textbook example of what not to do, isn't it? Um, and, and it's a good way just to destroy your season and start the next one behind the eight ball. Yep. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot to rebuild a, a playing group out of, the, out of that debacle. And this is look. This, this follows on from the from the Essendon thing, where you know, um, uh, again, the football clubs tying itself in knots um, because they said everyone must agree with us on what's really a contestable issue. Yes, and just for our listeners who uh, may not have watched uh, the Essendon controversy, the recently appointed CEO, what's his name, Jack? Um, uh, well, Thorburn. Yeah, that's right, Th- Thorburn, um, Andrew Thorburn, uh, had um, uh, uh, had been appointed as CEO and then uh, apparently the club did, <laughs> did a bit of due diligence a little bit late and determined that, he'd, uh, that he was the CEO of a church um, uh, that held some rather um, extreme views or had expressed extreme views in regard to abortion and... Um, and, and uh, same-sex uh, relationships. Um, well, the, and, well, the, the, he, he was sort of like the parish chairman, chairman of the parish council. Yeah, he he the, had not made these remarks. No, and 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 the church itself is is an offshoot of the Anglican Church. It is, yeah. And, and God knows, um, uh, I sort of think of the Anglicans and think, well. They don't believe in anything, really. Well, that's what I was just going to say. It's nice to see the Anglicans believe in something, Jack. Yes. Um, and uh, so that's why it's an offshoot, I suspect, because they do believe in a few things. Oh, um, you grab the, it, grab the um, arch, uh, 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 let's see, Archbishop of Canterbury and say, look, uh, do you believe in the resurrection? Oh, well, that, well that, that some days. That doesn't sound quite right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's nice to see the Anglicans believing in things. Uh, but... Um, Look, there were there, there's a couple of issues around the, around the Essendon thing, and that, and that is that the club 
now claims that it's due diligence that it appointed a, actually an accounting firm to do its due diligence. My God, I can't even begin to tell you where the problems are there. Um, who, who simply just don't have the skills to do those things. I mean, they could do a Google search like we all could, but, but and, and they would have found this stuff because uh, the, the, the journalist who uncovered it at the Herald Sun, uh, it took him about four seconds apparently. Um, so, so there was no due diligence undertaken by the club, um, um, and that's the sort of work that would not be done by an accounting firm. It would be done by, um, you know, a, 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 a company involved in, in searching for for prospective uh, um, uh, prospective managers within the club. Um, so they got all that wrong, and, and then uh, and then they, they basically hired the CEO who. Well, sacked the coach, came in, sacked the coach, uh, and uh, and they started a search for a new one, and uh, they've got one now. Um, but it seems like they're all over the shop, by the way. I mean, they just look like they. Um, if you ask me to pick you a, a wooden spurter for next year, it'll be Essendon. No, I think they'll go better than that. Um, I think Brad Scott will do a pretty good job, and they've got a the pretty good of- young list. There's lots to like about them, but I don't know. I mean, I just think if you got the front office wrong, you, you, you're gonna. Well, they've got they've got time to get that they've got time to get that right. Um, the real problem with this is that um, the progressives today think that history runs always in a in a, in the right direction. It doesn't go backwards and forwards, and that whatever they think. Um, uh, is better than what their parents think. And this is just wrong. I mean, we grew up in a time of bigotry. There was plenty of bigotry when we we were young. It was religious bigotry, and we're going back to those days. We thought we'd gotten rid of religious bigotry, but now we're going back to those days. Oh, there's plenty of bigotry in other respects, of course, too, Jack. I mean, homosexuality was criminalised. Abortion was criminalised. I mean, yeah, I mean, there was plenty of bigotry all the way around. Look, I just really... But I want your lawyer's view on this, Jack. Um, Chanel Dawson, uh, the daughter of Chris Dawson, who was convicted of uh, murdering his wife, uh, despite the fact nobody was found uh, earlier this year. Chanel Dawson has told 60 Minutes in an interview broadcast uh, last, uh, or oh, sorry, uh, two, two, two days ago, um, uh, that she had recollections from a session with a police hypnotist in 2013 where she recalled uh, uh, uncovered memories of her father burying her mother, Lynette, under the family pool. Um, None of this was presented to a jury. Jack, I just wanted to ask your legal opinion in regard to to hypnosis uh, and and hypnosis uh, uh, or, or testimony given about that hypnosis under oath in the witness box, which wasn't the case, of course. I mean that's that 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 wouldn't be accepted by a judge, would it? Oh, I don't think so. On the trial, don't think so. No, I don't think you'd be allowed to put that to a jury. No, and, and it I would be. I'm not. I'm not. I haven't kept myself up to date on that, so it's not an area I, I, I've ever practiced in much. But I would be very, very surprised. Well, a defence. I mean, a defence counsel. Even if it was uh, considered admissible, and I have very serious doubts, uh, but if it was uh, considered admissible, a defence counsel would simply rip it apart. Oh, we, we, we've only got to go back to the debacle with the recovered memory cases with uh, yeah. uh, 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 sex abuse in the home um, to, to think about how bad that went, how bad that went in the end for the for the proponents of it. Yeah. So what do they do, Jack? Very quickly, do they uh, do they dig up the pool because they did. Uh, do a lot of excavation around the, the old family home. Do they? Do they? Do we do that? Oh, gee, I don't know. Do you dig? A, do you dig up someone's backyard and pool? Um, uh, and how do you bury something under the pool? Uh, I'm, I'm only presuming, and I, and I the did see the testimony. It was very, very unclear. But you've got sort of filter box and things like that to go in, perhaps a little bit later. And I'm just thinking that 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 that, that was mine sort of take home from that um, for uh, for his uh, uh, for his sake Chris Dawson is appealing his conviction uh, and he was moved uh, into uh, a jail in regional Australia because he was he'd been, according to his lawyers been suffering threats uh, from, uh, from the jail he was in and I'm, I'm not quite sure where he w- would have gone initially at his age he probably 
would have spent a little bit of time in Silverwater, which is the major prison in New South Wales, then would be assessed um, based on his risk, based on his age, based on his health, based on you know things like he's, he apparently suffers dementia, uh, and then referred to probably a, a, a relatively low-security low prison, uh, except to say he's been convicted of murder and that for that therefore that sort of triggers a, a higher clearance as well um yeah interesting stuff i mean I, I honestly think this is going to continue to fascinate people for a very very long time uh afl trade period jack can you keep up can you keep up with what's going on there oh, it's I, haven't even tri- I haven't even tried too complicated for me it's just incredibly complicated and 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 hard to keep touch. Even as a sort of clubber, you go, okay, well, uh, I know Essen the Bombers picked up Will Setterfield, which would be a good good pickup for them. Actually, I, I I don't know that there was going to be a lot of opportunities for him at Carlton going forward. Um, so he's, he 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 got snapped up for a, um, in return for yeah, he's a, he's a much a better fit at Essen. A low draft pick. I had a look at it this week and thought it was so complicated. I thought my old comrades of the Victorian Socialist Left were running it. Um, <laughs> this is the sort of thing that they used to do with their with their um, uh, how to vote cards, so that you could work out exactly who would get in which spot. You know, um, uh, it, it, it's hard to know. So we've got North Melbourne who who drafted the number one draft because they finished on the bottom in twenty twenty. Um, and finished on the bottom again, 2021, 2022. But but they get the first draft pick, uh, and and they use that pick to uh, to to pick uh, who who was the absolute uh, standout player, junior player at the time, Jason Horn Francis. Uh, he's, he's, fa- he's, he's the son of Fabian Francis, the former Port um, player, isn't he? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. a long, long pedigree in, in footy in South Australia. Came across, didn't really set the world on fire. That's probably not down to him because he was, um, uh, you know, playing at a club that was battling. Um, and they sacked a coach midway through the season, had all sorts of problems. Um, and now he's gone. And it, but he's he's gone. Uh, uh, they will North Melbourne losing this, you know, highly acclaimed player will go to go to Port Adelaide. Uh, Horn Francis will go to Port Adelaide. And they will in turn get two high picks in this year's number one. In the picks two and two, three, and a Port Adelaide future first rounder. So they'll, they'll, they'll. I mean, I guess you could say what, well, what you would say to North Melbourne supporters and members is, we're going to have to require you to be patient just for one more year because uh, we, we've lost the, the number one draft pick. It probably ended up the right way for the club, I must say, and, pro- and hopefully for the player too. Um, well, once, but, once, but they're once you get to wait, you know, they I mean, put, put off one season development of one highly ranked, highly credentialed individual and now they're going to start it all over again. Perhaps the club wasn't the right fit for him when he arrived. I think the club was in a, um, a, a, was a bit of a shambles when he turned up. Perhaps the wrong bloke was coaching um, a few other problems with the club. Um, he didn't seem to fit in, didn't seem to make the required effort. It wasn't working. Um, and if, if the problem with that is the bloke doesn't want to be there, then the answer is get the best deal you can and let him go. Yeah, I think that's kind of what happened in the end. A number of things that will happen this week uh, is that Luke Jackson, a Melbourne Premiership player, will be uh, uh, Ruckman and, and highly talented fellow is going back west. Uh, that was always indica- his indication. The Dockers have offered pick 13, Jack, and a future first-round selection for a premiership Ruckman. You've got to be kidding. You, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't uh, pay any attention. That Brody Grundy, Jack, probably one of the best big men in the game not so long back um, and, uh, and and miss, has missed a lot of footy. He will go to Melbourne to replace Luke Jackson, uh, provided that deal can get done. Uh, and uh, Melbourne, again, are playing hardball and not offering very much to Collingwood. Uh, you've got Josh Dunkley, whose old man played for the Swans, um, and he wants to uh, – he's, he's, he's off to the Lions if they can make that work. But, again, uh, everyone's playing uh, hardball. Uh, Junior Rioli from the West Coast Eagles has now been transferred to Port Adelaide as part of that whole uh, North Melbourne um, 
uh, Horn Francis deal. Uh, and Jacob Hopper is a midfielder from the G- GWS Giants who's very keen to go to Richmond, but the Giants are playing hardball there. So they they basically um, uh, basically play very hard to get for a while. Ollie, Ollie Henry, who kicked a bloody late goal against Carlton to give Collingwood a win uh, when they met them the first time around. Ollie Henry... Um, is wanting to go to the Cats and, and Collingwood aren't happy about that. And Isaac Rankine, who's a fantastic player at the, at the, um, uh, at, at, uh, the Gold Coast Suns, really, really gifted small forward, um, plays a bit taller than that, to be honest, uh, wants to go to the Crows. Um, and uh, the Crows are offering a pick five, which is probably pretty reasonable. Long way to go. Rory Lobb, who, who actually had a pretty good season with Fremantle this year, is, is wanting to go. He wanted to go last year and they couldn't get a deal organised. He wanted to go back to the Giants. And now he wants to go to the Bulldogs. And Tom Mitchell, Brownlow medalist, Jack, and ball magnet. Didn't have a great season, it must be said. Um, they, they, Collingwood are trying to get hold of him. Yeah, you looked at him last year and you thought maybe the game has passed him by. Yeah, this, this, you know, there were issues about speed and, and stuff and yeah gets a lot of possessions and then you sort of wonder about the value of a lot of them yeah so yeah. that's that's where we are with trade season and I, I just don't know how the AFL can simplify it but it, or, 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 or if it should be but for fans it's like well we'll just wait till the season and we'll see who pulls on the jumper well, well, part of it is that you don't know how they're going to go until you get them at a club and what you can make of them. I mean, you look at Tom Mitchell, say, and at Hawthorne last year, everybody, you, you saw him, watched him play, and you think everybody else is looking for a, a Clayton Oliver type or a Chad Warner from Swan, someone who can come out the front of a stoppage with the ball in hand and speed away. Well, Mitchell's yeah. never or, that. Or, man. or indeed, get get the ball to that to that, to that that player yeah. running away. So, yeah. so yeah. getting in and under and then be an outside runner as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but um, so it looked looked a bit like the game was passing by. But that's a question of you know, if someone else thinks they can make better use of him, and that's what all this is about. You know, it's not just that does he look the right fit, but can they actually make um, uh, a, a blo- can they make the good clubs make players better? Um, that's the, clubs- the thing, isn't it? That's the measure of of a good club culture, of good club management, having uh, all their ducks in a row from the front office all the way to the coach and uh, and list managers and those sorts of people, um, recruiting people, um, uh, whether they can make uh, players who've uh, made a mark in AFL better. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that, that goes, it's not just with AFL, that goes across the board. The good clubs actually take okay players and make really good players out of them. Yeah, and it is cricket season, of course, Jack. So perhaps we shouldn't be deliberating so long on AFL. It's a long time until that's until that season recommences, February of next year. I think it's March actually. Uh, although the draw's not out, but it will be March. Um, we've got the T Twenty World Cup um, uh, deferred uh, due to COVID. It's now being played in Australia. Starts on the sixteenth of October, where you've got a, a bunch of. Um, uh, a bunch of the uh, lower uh, level play, uh, lower level teams around the world playing uh, playing in the tournament to qualify uh, against uh, against the established cricket nations. That's uh, always good fun. Uh, always good fun to watch uh, 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 countries who we don't always assume play a lot of cricket get involved. Holland, uh, Canada, um, uh, um, the Emirates, um, uh, Kenya. Uh, those sorts of those sorts of players, those sorts of uh, teams or nations, uh, get in and, and will qualify. That all starts on the sixteenth of October. I think the first real game uh, will be, be be between India and one of those qualifying teams in the on the twenty second. Um, nothing, nothing wrong with the Dutch playing cricket. Um, if I recall correctly, this is really testing my memory. Uh, the rather odd Peter Roebuck. Uh, was the only yeah. international international cricket he played. Yeah, one day, he went, he, 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 one day I guess, as as England captain, and they lost. They got they got rolled. Yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was a, a very very low moment for English cricket. Um, <laughs> Australia's form. I did watch the game between um, 
Australia and England. England, for me, are the standout side in the competition. India will be very strong as well, but England look very, very good. Not a lot of problems there. Uh, not, not a lot of holes in that side. And, and, and probably the best T20 bat in the world in Josh Butler, who's the captain and keeper. Uh, he opens up um, uh, probably the next best player in the world with a bat, if not Coley, who's been struggling for form a bit, is Dave Warner, who was very, very good in that game. Uh, I think it was on Saturday night, Friday or Saturday night. Australia fell short. Um, uh, we've got Tim David, Jack, who's a lump of a bloke, uh, and he's come in through a sort of circuitous path into the Australian side via Singapore and playing a lot of T20 around the world. He's one of these guys who can clunk the ball uh, from the outset. Very, very rare talent uh, just to be able to hit the ball over the boundary the first ball you face. However, he was facing uh, Mark Wood. Uh, He's quick. When he came. <laughs> He's a little bit slippery. Bowls, bowls high 140s, 150s. And uh, and David was trying to hit him, in, hit him out of the park. I was out two or three balls later. Um, and in fact, he was out the last ball of the over. And, and, and the commentators were saying perhaps he just needed to play that out. But I don't know. With a player like David, I think you've just got to say, if you see the ball and you want to hit it, to the boundary or over it, just do it. I think that's 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 why he's been picked in the side. So I, I saw, a bit he, of, saw, a, saw a bit of wood um, during the English um, uh, summer, he's and he's quick. pretty quick. He's um, quick. So tell me, is 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 Finch in the side on the Mark Mark Brealy uh, 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 rule because he's the captain? <laughs> he got he got a fifty uh, against the West Indies. Uh, didn't get many. He's back opening. He'll be back opening in Canberra in the in, in game two, which I think is uh, Wednesday night. Uh, and, uh, and and that will that will uh, uh, he'll he'll be he'll be opening with Dave Warner. I, I think it's certainly a vulnerability. And what what we saw Australia were very very good against the West Indies, but when it came to England, who are I, I think the standout side in the competition, uh, they battled a bit there. They're still very competitive against England, but England just looked to be a little bit better for mine. Mm. So we got tend, all that. I, I tend to get interested in, in in World Cups when they actually start, and probably about the semi-finals time. Really, there's a lot of lot of T Twenty cricket being played as sort of precursor stuff. That England's played a lot of against Pakistan. They'll play a little bit more in warm up games before uh, before we get underway. Um, Way uh, too much of it played, in my view. Well, there wasn't a lot of international T Twenty. There generally isn't a lot of international stuff because it makes way for the IPL and Big Bash and, and, and what have you. So this is just one of these times where there's a lot of warm-up cricket. If you ask me, there's probably a little bit too much 50-over stuff. Yeah, uh, too much of all of it, really. They've got to rely on a bit of scarcity to get it to make it make it work. It's going to be a fairly, um, you know, desultory something. We can't always have ashes... Uh, test contests uh, in Australia, of course, but um, and we certainly aren't this summer. We've got the South Africans, we've got the West Indians, um, and uh, from memory, I think we have we have a competition with the Indians later. Um, so it's not it's not a huge summer of Test cricket we might have hoped for. Uh, and uh, by way of compensation, you'll have the T20 World Cup and then plenty of the big bash, mates, like wallpaper. The, um, Put it uh, on. Uh, and next, next, next uh, Australian winter, Australia goes to England for an Ashes series, which will yes. be jammed into about six weeks, I think. No test in August. So they can fit, they can use the August school holidays for the 100, their rather absurd um, uh, uh, version of T20. Look, there's two, there's two ways of looking at this. And one of them is that, um, uh, you know, this sort of uh, mass market, sort of slightly trashy form of the game, uh, it should never, uh, should never um, come second to test cricket. The other way of looking at it is that this is the way to engage young people in cricket uh, who then go on to form... Uh, uh, form uh, uh, an affiliation with the longer forms of the game, but it, it, it is, it is. Look, I guarantee you won't see worse cricket played um, than than a desultory T20 where, let's say, the side bats bats first and makes makes uh, 
uh, <coughs> makes uh, or gets rolled out for a hundred, and, and then the other side just comes in and, and bats for ten overs and, and, and makes uh, and makes the total. It, it it's actually gets quite boring. T twenty when it's not close, it's boring. Um, <coughs> uh, I did, however, Jack, watch the uh, European Championship. Uh, the and I did see Luxembourg take on and just fall short against France. It was a rather wonderful thing, played in Spain, of all things, and I was watching the cricket there and going, and I know we all have this sort of amplified view of our own careers, but I was watching these guys play and said, yeah, I'd be better than them. I'm surprised they could find a dozen Luxembourgies um, uh, to take the field. I did watch the nationalities, and they seem to be all from the subcontinent. I did wonder, because Luxembourg is not a... Not an open immigration society. I didn't wonder where they'd all come from, but uh, they uh, they needed about uh, I think they needed about fourteen. No, no, they needed twenty off uh, off uh, twelve balls, and uh, and their number number eight bat uh, just swung and missed for an entire over. <laughs> it was very very funny. And then when he broke broke down the other end, uh, managed to get hold of one. There were missed fields and all sorts of rubbish going. And France ended up winning, and I think uh, might have gone on to win the tournament. But um, yeah, um, yeah. Looked at it, went yeah. I, I definitely play, play better cricket than these. Yeah. Well, our, our local Hong Kong team here, our local Hong Kong cricket here is, um, or big percentage of South Asians. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. And, and it didn't surprise me that the same was the same as the case with France as well. Um, good on them for having them representing their country, um, and that leads and then that leaves us uh, to only say goodbye to our listeners because we've wrapped up the program here in a lousy hour or so, and uh, got through uh, some very serious issues confronting um, the Australian government, and the Australian public, um, and uh, we thank you for your time, Jack. Thank you so much for your views today. Always a pleasure, Jack. And we remind our listeners to drop us a line uh, if you want to uh, make a comment, uh, make a criticism, ask a question, indeed, whatever you want to do. Um, and uh, you can get hold of me at uh, Jack the Insider, and my DMs are always open. Or drop us a line at the conditional release program at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, listeners. We'll see you next week. Cheers.